1: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports.
2: Delighted to be joined by our next guest. The Avalanche fall last night, 2 to 1 in overtime. All the scoring uh, didn't materialize as expected, but for the Avalanche, we broke it down. Maybe not the worst situation. Joining us is Katie Gossip from Altitude Television. Of course, you catch her on the Avalanche broadcasts over there as well as other programs. On the station, Uh, Katie underscore GAUS, G-A-U-S, is the tag on Twitter. Katie, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks so much
2: for having me again. Sandy, I brought it up, and I'm going to steal it from him here because uh, I I just happened to get to talk first. But when we're talking about this game last night, because Dallas had two games remaining, and now the Avs have two games remaining, the magic number for clinching the Central was really five points in the last three games. So even though they lost, and it feels disappointing to an extent, they're still on track. What did you take away from that game last night, not only from the Avs, but even the Oilers as maybe the most two dangerous teams in the West?
1: Absolutely. Well, I think one of the positives that you can take out of it, and and this was kind of for both teams, I would assume, is having the superstars really pretty well held off of the scoring sheet in terms of massive numbers. I think if we had been doing a you bet tonight show we would have probably both been saying look at all this scoring power on both sides look at the points these guys have we would have probably been telling people to hammer the over and it was very much a different game than that so the positive for me would be seeing the avalanche being able to play a strong defensive game obviously they aren't getting the win the way they'd like but there were moments in that game that really stood out as some incredible playoff style hockey some very gutsy efforts that four minute penalty kill for me was kind of a highlight of the game in terms of the avalanche, just a full team effort and the commitment you were seeing to, to defense. Uh, that being said, of course, you're probably hoping that that game is a little bit more fiery, a little bit more scoring, but I think it was a good testament to both teams that are really mentally kind of getting into this playoff hockey mindset and, and seeing the Avs being able to play a game like that and be successful obviously not getting that extra point, but being able to go into overtime against a team that had been really rolling up until that point. You know, it's still good to see. And like you mentioned, five being the magic number, the ads still controlling their own destiny in terms of you win and you continue to get rewarded. Uh, I would love to see St. Louis steal one of these games from Dallas, but it is nice to know that if the ads do their job, they still get rewarded for it.
0: Jared Bednar is always... To me, an interesting guy to listen to after games. And if his take is anywhere near mine, I always feel pretty good. And I can't imagine Jared Bednar saying at any point last year, out of the box after a, a, a tough game, that they played reasonably well. Saying, boy, our team is scrappy, resilient. They grind." They work. The Avalanche were so beautiful to watch last year with pretty good fortune when it came to injury. They were dynamic. Uh, They were flashy. They did score beautiful goals. But it is a different team. Bednar has embraced that. Are you convinced after watching the Avalanche hold in regulation McDavid off the board entirely That the Avalanche now have embraced whatever happens with these injuries. They have embraced the identity of being scrappers, being resilient, grinders, workers. Maybe more so than they could have embraced it a year ago.
1: Absolutely. I think when you look at this team, they were for whatever the per- the reasons are, you know, whether it be things that happened even over the summer before the injuries, right, losing, losing different players, they were forced to adapt to a new identity, and the injuries just really reinforced that, I think. But there were times this season where you definitely saw the growing pain of a team who was maybe used to things coming a little bit easier to them, starting to have to figure out new ways to, to find success and new ways to win games. They weren't, you know, this same flashy, finesse speed team. They still have all those elements, but maybe not as much of their core identity as it was last year. So combine that with the injuries and the constant chaos of different players being in different spots in the lineup, they did, and I think Bednar deserved a lot of credit for this, embrace a new way of playing and then find a new way to be successful. And I think that, Ultimately, I mean, of course, last year's team was just so good there was really no stopping them. but I do feel that this kind of an identity is really more made for the playoffs than anything, and it will serve them very well to have learned how to win games the, the old-fashioned way, the harder, the harder way. Uh, it's like you said, it doesn't necessarily make for as pretty of a pretty of a game and you're not you're not seeing this team that just can just roll over teams and just purely dominate them. They have to be a little bit more, uh, you know, they have to battle a little harder. They have to go into the dirty areas a little bit more. But that being said, they still have all of that skill. They're just being, I guess, in, and you're just seeing this team evolve and and kind of play the cards that they're dealt, but also taking the the players that they have and utilizing them in the best way possible to, to find success. And that might not be just purely based on, on flashy goal scoring. Uh, and, and I don't think that's a bad
2: thing at all. Yeah, I think that's a good observation, Katie, because that's what, that's what I was thinking last night, too, as I was watching the game and expecting a bunch of goals and expecting a bunch of points and not getting it, is the longer this game went on, I was thinking, all right, this this feels like a playoff game that might be something of a surprise not only to the Avs, but to the Oilers, who have been used to right. leaning on their offense. And, and in that regard, yeah, I don't think uh, this was a bad thing. The result, they still get a point out of it. I thought Georgiev was outstanding, and I I guess I just look at this game and think more or less the same way you do. This is almost a perfect preparation for the playoffs. Now, the next two teams they play, one is a playoff team in Winnipeg, but they're locked into the eighth seed. So they have little incentive to play anybody in this case because they, they could get someone hurt. The Avs have to sort of refocus and take care of business again against possibly two teams that may not be giving them their best. Is there a risk there? Uh, of basically after this game having a little bit of a drop-off?
1: Yeah, so I think it's sort of the same element of what we just saw with the L.A. Kings game straight into the Anaheim game, where you had a tough Kings team who's battling, who's in the mix, who's prepping for a really good playoff run, and is skilled and and brings all the intangibles, and you get a win there. We kind of joked about it. They, They didn't really deserve it, but they did get it. Then you go into Anaheim playing a team that hasn't played meaningful hockey in months. They've got nothing to be playing for other than young guys trying to prove themselves and guys are trying to earn spots for next year. And you saw it pretty quickly how the Avs let themselves fall into the trap of playing to the level of their opponent. And that first period was ugly. And then they let them score four unanswered goals. And you're just thinking to yourself, what what is this group doing other than just you know it's it's the back to back games it's the end of a road trip but it's it's also just again playing down to the, an opponent that's not you know not you know not playing for much but when the skill figures it out and when the team flips that switch they're able to do that now you can't do that in the playoffs but for these last two games i do think it will be a challenge to bring a high intensity despite the fact that your opponent is not going to and 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 they may not even be playing some of their better guys, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, you don't want to risk injuries when you're 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 kind of set in stone where you're facing for the playoffs. And I mean, the Abs need to use the internal motivation that they've had to rely on earlier this year to to will themselves to being on top of their game, despite who they're playing. It shouldn't matter. And, and ultimately, that's what you need in the playoffs as well. So I think this will be a good test for them. Of. How can they control their own motivations and not let their opponent, good or bad, influence the way they come out and play? And, and and knowing that this game is so important for these two points, for these final potential four points, that's really what the abs focus has to be. And you hope that they have learned from the mistakes of the past and, and then they will come out and play a more complete game than they sometimes do against teams that are struggling.
0: The Avalanche over... Roughly the first half of the season. They played 80 games now, so will split them in two. 40 games, first 40, 20, 17, and three, last 40, 29, 7, and four. Hmm. Who is the most responsible for that turnaround? You got a lot of good choices, but we'll put you on the spot that way.
1: It is a tough question. Um, I think ultimately I, there's so many guys who I, I – there's so many supporting cast characters, but when push comes to shove, I really just ultimately feel like you have to go with Nathan McKinnon. What he has done since coming back from that injury has been nothing short of amazing. He has proven his ability to elevate his game every single night, and I am a firm, firm believer that that rubs off on everyone else. His intensity, his commitment, uh, his, his ability to raise his, his competitiveness on a nightly basis is something that I think the whole team is seeing. Even the habits that he builds in terms of how he's, you know, training afterwards and, and, and on off days, all of those little things I think are important, but he's just such a gamer and coach has talked about it a lot that he knows when it's that time of year, you can start to just see it, that, it, that the hunger for him just builds and builds and and he starts to play out of his mind, and I mean, we, we joke about it, but we just keep running out of adjectives to describe what he does on a nightly basis, but when you look at the number of first goals of the game he scored this year, meaningful goals to get the abs going in the right direction to spark that offense, Then you look at the number of game-winning goals he sets a new franchise record, I mean, that guy is Captain Clutch. It's, it's when you need him, he's the one that's stepping up, and whether he finishes the job or starts it, usually it's both. But that is ultimately, I think, the biggest factor for what has pushed this team forward successfully. And I will also say, because I can't not give credit to Georgiev, goalies, not always are they going to win you a game, but if they're not on there, they can lose it for you. And Georgiev has made the saves he's needed to when he's had to and has just gotten so strong over the course of the season and embracing this new role of being a number one. I think that's got to be one of the most pleasant surprises by far, for management this year, having him pan out the way he
2: has. That's a good point and a really good observation because I think we we agree we've talked about that as well. As the year has gone on, Georgiev, seems to be continuing to mature into that role and, and the sort of the, the blips of which there haven't been that many all, bad games over the of course of the whole season. They have not come but, lately for the most part. I mean, he has really looked locked in. Yesterday, the defense was able to contain that phenomenal offense, 300-point scores. Uh, For the Oilers and hold them to only two and only that, of course, was uh, a power play at the end. But we know that they're missing Cale McCarr and Josh Manson. So I, I guess I would ask you a little bit about both of those two guys and also how you felt the defense was able to maneuver as well as they did without those two very significant players against the best offense in the league.
1: Yeah, no, no question. So, to answer it first in terms of like some status updates, we were at mornings, or excuse me, at practice today. It was an optional, but prior to the official practice starting, we had Josh Manson and Darren Helm both out on the ice wearing red. Josh Manson, in particular, looked like he was flying. He looked extremely comfortable out there, very dynamic. He stayed on the ice and and continued the rest of the optional practice with the entire group. Arturi Lekanen was also out there again, normal sweater. We did not see Kale, um, but we've seen him in these last few days leading up to it. I am in a state where I truly feel that they're not going to have anyone come back at this stage because we have been able to we have been able to take care of business without those guys. They both look very very close and ready for the playoffs, and I would not be surprised if we see Manson and Kale, and I'm lucky for sure, all ready to go for Game One. Um, But that being said, in terms of the actual defense and the performance from last night, this has been one of the greatest uh, surprises, maybe not a surprise really, of this team this year is their defensive core's ability to play strong regardless of who's in there. And, And I think a lot of credit there goes to Devon Caves being able to step up. Bo Byram has been it was great to get him back in last night, and he's been outstanding, especially down this recent stretch. I think it's just the way that this this decor plays to its identity, no matter who is there, and it's not easy to replace Joe McCarr. You simply can't do it. But the group finds ways that when he isn't there, working together as a core group, you know, in in unison to just play a solid game, and relying on the communication and the things that they do best. And this isn't a defensive group. They love being involved. We talk about it all the time. But coaches give them the full green light to be in the mix, and 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 it's tough to be an offensive defenseman because that does inherently lead to more mistakes but you've got such a great balance between guys like Bo who want to step up and guys like EJ and Jack Johnson who play that more stay-at-home role there's just constant communication and I think that this group is just so comfortable with each other that even on nights where you're missing a kale you're missing Manson it doesn't necessarily destroy what has already been established. The thing that Manson brings that I'm really looking forward to getting back is that incredible physicality that, as you get into the playoffs, becomes very, very valuable. And so for that reason, it's great to see that he's making progress and should be ready to roll for game one.
0: How about the abrasiveness of Byram on Kane, especially in the first period, and Girard putting that big hit on Hyman in the second period? That's about as physical a game as I've ever seen Samuel Girard play. Absolutely,
1: and, and you, you have to kind of love it. Again, when the opponent is bigger and the stage is, is set, those guys are are not afraid to be feisty. And Bo Byram is certainly uh, a, just a fun player to watch, but not temper's not the right word. But he definitely you know he definitely gets his intensity can get amped up, and and you like to see that. As long as you manage it in the right way, of course. You know, we saw this even earlier in the year. You know, I love seeing Nico Ranton and get passionate and be fiery out there. But you have to make sure that you're doing it in the right way, picking your spots and of course not costing your team more than you're helping them. But that kind of a uh, passionate play, that kind of physicality, that's exactly what the playoffs is all about. And to even be seeing it, like you said, from guys like Sammy G, who are not exactly known for that, is great.
2: Yeah, have have two more games left in their regular season. Of course, you catch them on altitude television, and that's where you'll be able to see Katie. Make sure you catch Katie Goss on social, Katie underscore Goss, G-A-U-S on Twitter. Uh, thanks for all the insight, Katie. Really uh, appreciate it. Looking forward to this uh, finish to the season, especially if they walk away with that top seed, because we could be talking about a deep and entertaining playoff run. Thanks so much for all your insights.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I look forward to chatting again when we get into this postseason.
2: <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Thanks, Katie. Katie's uh, the, the, the point she was making really at the end was interesting. And of course, good news about the Avalanche, the idea that those guys may be ready when the playoffs start, but there's no reason to mess with it now, which I agree. Uh, and not only because of the, the nature of their injuries, but I think the point that Katie made is really apt. This team has been taking care of business. Uh, they have not right. lost a lot of hockey games,
0: well, and they, they've and, uh, lost seven games in regulation over a period of more than ninety days.
2: Yeah, seems like it's going okay there. So I I, I don't know if there's a hurry to bring them back. And you're going to have home ice in the first round, regardless. no matter what. They they clinched that last night because of the loss for the Wild. So if Dallas were to surpass the Avs and win the Central, the Avs would take on the Minnesota Wild, but they would do so with. Home ice advantage, obviously that's not what you'd rather have than the Kraken, I don't think. But it's not like the standings are all that far apart. So uh, the Wild right now with 102 points, the Kraken with 100.
0: So, you know, who, who knows? Well, that, 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 that I think, is the essential point that everybody needs to understand. First of all, the last two teams that won 62 games, a record now broken by Boston and smashed, really. Boston's got 64, and they still have Game to play right to right. get to sixty five. They, they have the points record at one hundred thirty three, but Detroit won sixty two and ninety six, and the Avalanche beat them in the Western Conference Finals. And even more stunning than that was Tampa in nineteen, winning sixty two mm-hmm. and getting bounced in the playoffs in the first, first round, round in four straight games by the Columbus Blue Jackets of all people.
2: You just don't know when it comes to the postseason. I mean, it, think about this. Carolina with 111 points. New Jersey with 110 points. Toronto with 109 points. They'd all be tied or ahead of Vegas, for the top seed in the West, if they were out here. Pretty I, remarkable. I ride.
0: promise I will leave this alone after I make once again <laughs> the point that two of the top five, maybe two of the top six teams in the NHL will be playing in the first round of the playoffs, New Jersey and the Rangers. And... One of the top five or six teams in the NHL, definitely one of the top five teams the second half of the season, will be gone after the first round. Two of the top five teams in the league, without question during the second half of the season, of those two, one will be gone after the
2: first round. Now I'll leave that alone. It can can be be interesting. The Denver Nuggets, of course, awaiting their opponent, They have streamlined it. It's down to three. What do we expect to see tonight? What would that mean for the Friday matchup that would determine the Nuggets opponent? We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner
1: at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
2: In the NBA play-in tournament tonight, the Pelicans will play the Thunder. The loser is out. The winner will take on the Minnesota Timberwolves, who lost last night to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now the Pelicans will not have uh, Jose Alvarado. He's been out since the end of February with the a stress reaction in his right tibia. He will not be back, expected to miss at least another week. That's not the player people were thinking about. Of course, it's Zion Williamson who's been out since the 2nd of January with that hamstring strain. And yesterday, he spoke to reporters, and the quote that came out of most of it, that, that maybe I think shortchanged him, and I'll read you the particular quote, and you can imagine what everyone ran with, but there's more context. So he said yesterday, when asked how close he is feeling ready to play, he said, quote, physically I'm fine. Now it's just a matter of when I feel like Zion. Now, of course, that quote is pretty catchy, and that's the one that everyone runs with, to kind of paint him as, wow, he's putting himself first over a team. Well, where did we see some of that? Last year, when Jamal Murray was struggling to come back from his ACL repair, and he had been, the the Nuggets kind of hung him out to dry, saying he's physically ready, it's up to Jamal. You and I at the time actually kind of roasted the nuggets for that because what they basically did, but Tim Connolly came out on the, air. On, on the station that we were at at the time Yes, and said it. And the, the problem was with that is you basically just told the, you gave the fan base free reign to basically say Jamal Murray isn't tough enough or doesn't care enough or any of that. And those were ridiculous things. Uh, he wasn't ready because there is more than a physical aspect to recovery. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's more than 50% of
0: recovery is the metal psychological emotional side of it and if you don't feel like yourself as you pointed out during the break and i'll give you credit for the quote zion effectively
2: saying i'd be inside my own head he did and uh, his actual term. okay he
0: actually said no well
2: he said he would quote would be in my head yeah. But he, but he t- gave details on that and said it's a little bit of a mental battle because, you know, sure. when I re-aggravated it back in February, that was tough. Yeah. Yep. So oh, I, that was yep. the
0: setback. So when Because I go he was to make getting ready moves, to come back in February. Yeah. Unlike Murray last year, in spite of what some people who should have known better were suggesting at the time, February or March, which was never going to happen, he was on track to come back in February
2: and... Mm-hmm. And during the recovery, he, he sustained a physical setback. And his response is, so when I go to make certain moves, there is right. that hesitation. Sure. So there's not, and sometimes there is. I understand the magnitude of these games coming up, and I don't want to be out there hesitating or doing something that may affect my team in a bad way and and said, basically, I know the atmosphere I'd be entering based off the playoff experience.
0: They aren't analogous, but Carl Anthony Towns missed a bunch of games this year. And he missed more games than you might imagine he would miss with a particular injury he had. And I got the sense last night when things got tight in the fourth quarter, he was hesitant. And the Lakers sensed that because they were putting smaller people on him. They were not guarding him with LeBron or with Anthony Davis. They were guarding him with Austin Reeves. I kid you not. Yeah, a guard. And he was hesitant, and they knew that that he was hesitant to take aggressive action going to the hoop. Now, he made his first five shots of the game. You couldn't argue with his performance in the first half. They were up 11 points at halftime, and they were up, I think, seven after three at 86-79. Everything was fine. But late in the game, he's supposedly a great player. I think he's a very good person. Supposedly a great player. I'm not sure he is. Because there was that hesitation, they did not capitalize on that mismatch, and I think it cost them the game last night as much as Edwards' three for 17 cost them the game last night. But I sense that hesitancy in Towns, and I wonder he's getting big minutes now because they have no choice. The third-string center, Nas Reed, who was very effective yeah. when Towns was out, he
2: lost broke to the year his with injury. wrist injury, yep.
0: so he's out for the year. Jaden
2: McDaniels and is out. Gobert's Rudy Gobert under is, suspension. Yeah, right. the, the team's not so playing him.
0: they had to really ride Towns last night, and I think he probably did get tired at the end. But even early in the fourth quarter, he was given the chance to be aggressive, and he was not. And if there's any hesitation with Zion, the, the fact of the matter is, I, there are very few players. We talked about this at length, uh, to whom you can basically assign the responsibility. Of dropping in out of nowhere, yeah, after missing not playing large for, segments yeah. of a season or an entire season, and expect them to pick up right where they left off and they were healthy.
2: And I think of a, a Clay Thompson's one of those guys. We've seen that when he's healthy, you can just drop him in and he plays like Clay Thompson. Well,
0: yeah, but even with Clay Thompson, when he came back, and there's a fascinating story about that in the Athletic, where Clay Thompson relied more on his uh, personal people than he did on the team trainer, mm-hmm. and ended up tearing his Achilles on top of the ACL injury and that whole deal, and now he acknowledges he made a big mistake and squares by the trainer as so many of the other golden state players do. Um, but we, we saw, and he was frustrated by this. They would limit his minutes mm-hmm. in a way that I thought the nuggets would with Murray. And they really didn't do that earlier this year. And mm-hmm. listen, uh, Murray played a lot better than all of us. Maybe even the nuggets included uh, expected that he would play, but yes, it's, it's hard to drop somebody in and expect they'll be sharp night in and night out, and especially defensively. I don't think Clay Thompson will ever again be the defensive player he was. Now, he's still a good defensive player, but he was great before the injuries. Now he's good. And that was Jamal Murray's statement last year. Uh, People looked at the jump shots and the dunks that they saw that were uh, out there on social media. And yet they didn't understand I couldn't move laterally defensively. I couldn't move left. I couldn't move right. I wasn't ready to play on the defensive end of the floor. And it's possible Zion Williamson is not ready to play at that end of the floor. And it's also possible that over the course of what's it been, three and a half months, right?
2: Mm -hmm, Roughly.
0: That New Orleans has learned to play without Zion Williamson and play fairly well. Ingram has become a triple-double threat virtually every night. Uh, you've got McCollum and Valachonis, who are, are just solid veteran uh, players. You've got Herbert Jones, who might take five or six shots and still have a major impact on the game defensively. Uh, and, and you've got Trey Murphy, who's right. an excellent shooter. So you, you've got – and, and you, you don't have a great bench, but it's, it, it's okay. They
2: do miss Alvarado, but they've they, worked they, around
0: Absolutely. It. I'll tell you what, if New Orleans happen to play the Nuggets –
2: and they were which ho- could happen fully healthy? in the first
0: round, and they were healthy, and Alvarado, uh, uh, Alvarado was part of that. He gives the Nuggets fits. Mm-hmm. At least two or three games previously against Denver, he's been a star. So uh, I I think for that reason alone, the Nuggets would vastly prefer Minnesota or Oklahoma City to be the eighth seed.
2: The Pelicans are favored by five and a half tonight at home, and uh, Williams kind of talked about the challenges, is the mental part as well. But he, he pointed out in this case that it's a uh, it's a collective decision between him and the team of when he'll play. But he said it's tough. I can't lie. From my perspective, I just want to play basketball. I want to hoop. I want to play the game I love. But the reality of it is, whether I check my phone, whether I'm just watching TV, no matter what it is, I can't escape what the world thinks, what people's opinions are. So it's frustrating. He's also asked if the Pelicans were to win tonight and were to win at the time, but it didn't, the game had not been played between the Timberwolves and the Lakers. But if they were to win two games and become the 8th seed, what would he do against Denver? He was asked specifically about a first-round series against the Nuggets, and his answer was kind of the same. If I feel like Zion, I'll be out there. Yeah. And I, I can
0: imagine that he would.
2: Hard to imagine. It, it, it does. It, it does kind of seem that, that if he's not ready to go 100%. he would. If he's be, not ready to go right now. He might basically
0: be 100%, but he wouldn't feel
2: it. Yeah, if he doesn't feel like he's ready to go in these elimination games, right. why would you be ready to go for a first-round series no against sense. Denver? I, mean, this I is, don't think he would. This is kind of your season. And
0: listen, you're you're a prohibitive underdog against Denver. Uh, nobody's going to hold it against New Orleans or any individual. Yeah, if they lose uh, with or without If they without lose him. to the Nuggets, uh, whether he plays. Yeah, you're an A.C. Exactly. uh, Playing a a team that's been a one seed going back to mm mid-December. They didn't just catch the field and pass them in the final weeks of the season. They've been the best team in the West and the dominant team in the West and the steadiest team in the West month-to-month throughout the course of the season. No shame losing a first-round series to them. Uh, I do think it might be more aggravating if the Nuggets had to play New Orleans as opposed to Oklahoma City. And yes, Minnesota, I, I think uh, majoring in stupid would be a bad way to operate against a fresh Nikola Jokic.
2: Yeah, who uh, you can say whatever you'd like about his uh, basketball acumen, but stupid is never going to come up. He mi- might not. be one of the of smartest in the moment players can, the game has ever seen. Can you
0: imagine if they didn't have Mike Conley?
2: Oh, that, how, how running stupid the show they would be
0: because yeah, Conley I mean, is not Connelly. Oh, I've, I've watched very player. closely and seen play in person at the final four uh, for Ohio state. I've always been a Conley fan. Me George too. Carl is an even bigger fan of Conley than I am. And even George, they, they really must be in a bad way because he has not fundamentally been able to make them into a mature, intelligent basketball team. And again, He's terrific. I think they have a very good coach. And I think the coach the other day, not last night, but the other day, uh, made mention of the fact when guys were punching out walls and teammates, he mentioned the word immature in his postgame presser
2: about four times. Immature. Yeah. Four times. I I think for... The Nuggets. And I'm curious what you, what you think as well. Our, our number here 303 zero three eight three one thirteen forty. I'm 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 sort of with you. I, I think the Pelicans, because of the nature of the way they play, I think I think uh, that Ingram is is a threat that is difficult for uh, the size makes it difficult for Aaron Gordon to neutralize. Yeah, I uh,
0: I, I think he's one Lucianus, of those guys. I, I think they can't is um, really they can't really yeah. defend. Balanchunas, yep. yeah, but, but I he th- he isn't afraid of Jokic. Yeah, but he won't
2: outplay. He Jokic. won't outplay him, but he is. But the the guys that have been able to have the big body and have some skill, and he most certainly does, and is no not is not going to no back no. down from Jokic physically no. at any oh, no. point in time. Those have been guys that historically can give him trouble. Right. Uh, Anthony Davis is one of those guys that has and, has yeah. played the the Jokic that way, and I think that's been a concern. And we know what kind of scorer CJ McCollum is. Uh, Well, we remember a certain seventh game (laughs) that C.J. McCollum
0: almost single-handedly, not Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum almost single-handedly beat the Nuggets. Still averaging 20.9 a night, and And, uh, he can still get it done. I I think now you you look at what happened last night, and, uh, you know, LeBron and Davis combined for 10 turnovers, but, boy, were they good. Uh, LeBron, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists a steal, and two blocks. Davis, 24 points, 15 rebounds, four assists, two steals, three blocks. Um. They don't need a lot out of a third score. And last night, Shooter came off the bench with
2: 17, yeah. I believe. And yeah.
0: James, I don't know if you caught the post-game interview.
2: I didn't catch the post-game.
0: Uh, no. Allie LaForce was doing the post-game oh, okay. interview sure. for TNT. And She's talking to LeBron, and the score is 95-95 in the final seconds, and LeBron drives through the lane, and even knowing how LeBron plays, I'm expecting LeBron to shoot. He passes in the corner to Schroeder, who recalled in the post-game interview that he had missed a shot from that very spot before this year with a game on the line. And was impressed by the fact that LeBron trust him. So Ali LaForce is talking to LeBron, and she asks him, you could have shot. Why did you pass to a guy coming off the bench who's, you know, kind of a streaky shooter? And LeBron says, that's the way I played all my life. That's the decision. I've made. He hits and I've the. Been op- criticized. He for hits it, the
2: open man. But He's done that's his whole
0: career. How he plays. He makes the right basket.
2: Remember man. the championship with, with Kyrie Irving. Did the same thing. Uh, he hits the open man. Right. right. And and that's one I mean, of the things is, that makes him with dangerous. With all due
0: respect, this is Dennis Shooter. This is not. Yeah. Kyrie Irving. It's not Kyrie Irving. Uh, it, this is Dennis Shooter. And he knocks down the three. And I think it makes a difference to a guy like Shooter in that yes. situation he that LeBron trusts. Him.
2: Yep, I agree. The Lakers move on. They are the seventh seed. We will find out tonight. Of course, 7.30 tonight. Start tip here locally. Pelicans and Thunder. The winner will take on the Timberwolves. The winner of that game on Friday will take on the Denver Nuggets starting on Sunday. We know that that will be a Sunday start. But interesting part about the schedule. The schedule's been released for the Denver Nuggets first-round playoff series, even though it's TBD. Does the league feel like ignoring the Nuggets. There are reasons to maybe look into that. I'll explain next on Mile High Sports.
1: This is Sandy Clough and Sean Tar on Mile High Sports.
2: Denver Nuggets are the top seed in the West, Sandy. They've been the top seed in the West, as you put it, since basically roughly mid-December. They have been steady. They have dominated. They have essentially gone unchallenged for the remainder of the regular season. Almost
0: four months that they have been the best
2: team in the West. Starting on Sunday, where they will play the famed TBD, as we've explained. (laughs) That'll be either Minnesota, New Orleans, or Oklahoma City. The Denver Nuggets will be the late game. (laughs) In every single, I mean, in the, the late game, every single game they play in the first round, they will have the latest start of any game on any night they play, including on nights in which they are not the westernmost team, like Sunday, in which the primetime 6 p.m. slot goes to the Clippers and the Suns with the Nuggets coming on at 8.30 after that. I mean, at what point, if you're the Nuggets, and I get, that you can, you can play that card here and there. And I'm I've, I've, I've always of two minds on whether it's a good idea or not. But let's put it quite simply. The schedule makers don't think you're a draw compared to the other teams. They don't necessarily believe in you because they don't think you have the star power of the other teams. And here you are as, as a team that has been as dominant in their conference and maybe even more so than Milwaukee has been in theirs, because for a larger chunk of the year, Boston was yeah. holding that spot. But it's oh a, it's sure, at least
0: uh, uh, Relatively equivalent. speaking. Now the East is strong in the West. It is. I mean, I mean you can argue, um, but if you're the and United, you can States. go to the, the Basketball Reference simple rating system, and the top four teams in the NBA are all Eastern clubs. But I get I get your point. But who's the best in the West? in that by that rating system, Memphis. Okay, okay, barely ahead of them. Okay, it's five six, and. I don't understand it either. Um, I'm not as deeply into the metrics as basketball references, but obviously I would put the Nuggets in the top five. Um, I'd put them ahead of Cleveland. But Cleveland's metrics are, are, are very good, especially on offense. Boy, they've, they've got four guys who are big-time scorers. Um, but, yes, in the West, the Nuggets have been far and away the best team and the steadiest team both the best because their highs have been higher than anybody else's and the steadiest just go by the month-to-month records they haven't had a bad month memphis has had rough stretches and memphis uh, like minnesota perhaps not to quite the same degree memphis is more disliked by other teams rather than being uh, a team that as uh, Michael Wilbon put it,
2: majors and stupid. They're just disliked. But if you're, if you're, because they're too the nuggets, big for their britches. If you're the Nuggets, aren't? Aren't you a little angry about this? Aren't you a little oh, upset yeah. about this? And I don't, mean,
0: don't if you're you... a fan, if you're a fan, and you're talking about home games as well as road games, being the latest of all possible starts, you know. And again, uh, prime time is Eastern time. Prime time. Mm-hmm. And. Eight thirty, well, even, even here, even 30 eight thirty start here is prime time. I mean, I'm not bothered. It's, it's certainly not, not back east where it'd be ten thirty when their games basically start. And you've got this infatuation, of course, with the Clippers and the Suns because you have two Hall of Famers who have both won multiple championships in Kawhi Leonard. And Kevin Durant. Those are the featured players, and ESPN, TNT, NBA believes that people want to see those guys more than they want to see the two-time MVP and possibly the three-time MVP.
2: Although we both think that will not it's, happen, it's not going to happen. I mean that that's going to be that's going to be MB because the writers are going to take the simplest answer of. These other guys have two. <laughs> We're going to give him one. Who cares? But but I, I do think it's, uh, it, again, if you're a Nuggets fan and you're convinced that nobody really, the NBA really cares, um, that, that's that's the reality. And so at the same time, you have to look at this as an opportunity, as an opportunity to give yourself a, a little edge, to put that little chip on your shoulder. I don't think a guy like Jamal Murray is going to have any trouble with doing that. And, and in the end, there is a part of this uh, – Now, I I talked about this yesterday, and we had a texter basically come at it with the sports cliche. Who cares who the matchup is? If you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. You're going to have to go through everybody. It doesn't matter. And I agree with that. But for the Nuggets themselves and for Nuggets fans who are frustrated, I guess I I, I get it at the same time. What have they done? This is a team that's never been to the finals. This is a team that's been to the Western Conference finals on only a couple of occasions. Well, the... More often than that, yeah. but yes, you're right. Well, Inf- spread infrequently seen 1978,
0: infrequently. 1985, uh, 2009, nine. yeah, and and bubble in the bubble, of course, 2020, which was the last time that Jamal Murray performed in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? And however much that tells us, or how little that but the, the tells bubble us. But ends up being right. such you're, an anomaly that and people don't he, think about it. And what, although they won't say this. In the last twenty playoff games the Nuggets have played,
2: mostly outside the bubble, mm. six and fourteen, and, and that's the reality. And so, it, so that, if, that, if you're that the Nuggets, the this is this is a, a splash of cold water to the face, and at the same time, it's also an opportunity to prove it. Prove it. You
0: you, you want to be you want to be taken. You, you've got home court, and you're other than Memphis, and your best one, home court. Team yes. in the conference, thirty-four it, and seven. And you are going to face Memphis an eight is thirty-five and six. An eight seed that's you're already played.
2: Multi, whoever right. you are playing has already played exactly two games. Right. While you've rested the whole week. That's right. That's a major advantage. Malone pointed that out a few weeks so ago. So go hand, go handle your business. Go blow this eight seed right. out, whoever it is. Four or five games. Sweep call them, it good. Five games. Yeah. And show the rest of the league that you are here for business, because there is a there is a part of it. That for the Nuggets, I understand the frustration. I understand it for Nuggets fans. Uh, You know how don't you get your respect? Well, here's the thing. You haven't earned it. Cool. You put up a good regular season. The Nuggets have done that before. Uh, You've you've never gotten to the finals. So of course nobody really looks at you as a team that could get there. And no, you don't. And here's the other thing: you don't have guys with rings. The last major contributors. The Clippers do. Kawhi Leonard. The the Suns do. Kevin Durant. the last
0: series they won comfortably. And I'm talking about the bubble here too. I'm not excluding the bubble. The last series they won comfortably was Portland in six games in 2019.
2: That's four years ago. Mm-hmm. That's the simple reality. Now. Are they the best team in the West? I actually think they are. I think Phoenix, if they're totally healthy, would probably be favored against the Nuggets. And if you were to play that series 10 times, Phoenix maybe wins six or maybe even seven. of them, If both teams are totally healthy. No other team in the West, I think, would have that with success with the Nuggets. So you worry about Phoenix when Phoenix comes around, yeah. if they come around. And don't necessarily assume that injuries don't rear their head or that a, a very crafty Kawhi Leonard doesn't find a way the, around things. The, the good news for the Nuggets uh, is, of course, they're the number one seed, but
0: almost as good. Memphis is number two. Sacramento is number three. Sacramento hasn't even been in the playoffs over the last 17 years. Now, the, the last time they were in was 06. Memphis is as improving as the Nuggets are in the playoffs. Uh, now, Phoenix, it, it, even the Clippers, I mean, I, I know it was the bubble, but Clippers were one of the favorites to win mm-hmm. back in 2020 in the bubble. And the Nuggets beat them three straight after home behind three games to one. And they had all their guys. Now, I know it was the bubble, and, and I, I don't think you can necessarily – Take what happened in the bubble and replicate it. Conditions are just so yeah, unusual, it's almost impossible, uh, right? I don't uh, think by so. Comparison. Either. So, okay, uh, the bubble to me was good and bad. The Nuggets had a losing record overall in the bubble, and in the playoffs, they were nine and ten in the bubble. It's <laughs> <laughs> easy so to forget. I, it's easy to forget they lost more than they won in the bubble, uh, both in the so-called end of the regular season and, and in the playoffs, but you've got people who, as they say, have been there before and it hasn't always been great experience, but, um, you know, they, they, I believe I said Portland four years ago, was it two years ago? It was two years ago, right? Oh, yes, you're correct. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll see, we'll see. It'll be, An interesting period, Uh, and if you want to change the perception, win playoff games games. and
2: win playoff series. Go win games. And they will have an opportunity to find out a little bit. They'll get some scouting done one way or another because uh, there's a chance that one of these two teams playing tonight will be their opponent when the Pelicans and the Thunder get the game off this evening so uh, it's been a lot of fun I had an opportunity to talk a little bit of, of Colorado Preps with Dan Mormon. so make sure you check him out uh, coloradopreps.com is the website there uh, Katie Goss, Altitude Television uh, joined us, terrific insights, make sure you follow Katie Katie underscore Goss, that's G-A-U-S always love talking to her about the avalanche checking in there and uh, thanks to you of course primarily for tuning in Danny Bailey is the man of the booth that makes it sounds good, today Spencer Patterson in there as uh, Andrew Detmer watching the Rockies lose to the Cardinals, which is actually what Andrew wanted. So I guess he'll be happy when he comes back. But <laughs> thanks a bunch to Spencer for holding it down for us. And uh, we're going to hand things off to our friends on the New drive. That's Anilo Piro and Cody Rourke for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. You can follow me on Twitter if you'd like it. That's D-R-O-T-A-R. We'll be back tomorrow, but keep it tuned right here. Mile High Sports. I wrote
1: on the bus. Where's my writer?